Welcome back to another edition of Inside EMS. I'm Rob Lawrence. I'm in for the last week of this three-week stand-in, or actually, was it stand-up? We'll discuss that in a second. Uh, gig as your host. I can confirm that Chris Ceballero is actually back in the country. However, he's having to have a week off to cope with his two weeks away. So he'll be back next week. But there is one original on this show, and I'd like to introduce the Ragin' Cajun, Kelly Grayson. Uh, good to be here, Rob. Um, good to talk to you again, man. It's, uh, it's, uh, we're getting into our groove here, dude. We, uh, maybe we just, we, can we force Sebolero out, make him take another vacation? I'm, I'm reaching my comfort zone with you now. Well, we'll talk to the boss, uh, Carrie EMS one, perhaps she can do one of her famous EMS one <laughs> polls and we'll find out, but no, Chris is going to be back next week. I'm going to retire to my own one-stop show. Uh, but as always, you know, I'm here. If you need me, I'm just a call away. But we have gotcha. a special guest today, Kelly. Yes, we do. And it's my privilege to introduce our uh, state EMS director, Susan Bailey. Susan is a uh, longtime paramedic and educator and a longtime friend and colleague of mine who is uh, uh, one of our success stories in EMS, uh, someone who came up from through the ranks and and uh, it evolved to a, a leadership position, ascended to a leadership position in the state. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is. It's it's a pleasure to have you. One of the things we wanted to do and in, in love to do in the show is, is highlight success stories in EMS uh, and and EMS leaders who, who still identify what it was like to get peeped on and ride in a truck. So we've had folks like Ray Barashansky and, and yourself on uh, and and several others and um why don't you give our listeners a, a little bit of a sketch of yourself what's your current position uh, uh in our state and uh what's your position you hold with the national association of emts a little bit about your background so i'm currently the director of the louisiana bureau of ems and i am president-elect of naemt i joined the ems profession in december of 1990 and i was employed at a rural hospital ems service in 1999, I moved to Baton Rouge and worked for a municipal EMS service where I held the positions of field supervisor, educator, and paramedic program director. During these years, I earned a bachelor's degree in management and a master's degree in emergency management. And then in 2017, I became the Bureau of EMS director where I'm currently holding that position. And guys, if you don't already know, uh, Susan, I'll tell you now, Susan is one of the most driven and dedicated people you will find in our profession. And uh, I'm not just saying that because she's our Bureau of EMS director. Uh, I, I greatly respect her. Sometimes we, we disagree on things and we clash, but uh, Susan is, you find her out there with the troops uh, when, when things are going on, like uh, we're doing vaccinations and, and hurricane shelter duty. And, and it's nice to see the, the Bureau of EMS director out there with the rest of us doing, uh, doing our work as paramedics. Thank you. It's an honor to work beside the paramedics that uh, we have here in Louisiana. And I think we're going to talk a little bit later about what all we, the Bureau has been doing and what's been going on in Louisiana but it's always an honor to work with the EMS personnel here in Louisiana. Susan, it's it's quite the, the career progression from the truck to what you're about to do next, which, of course, is you're the president-elect of an EMT. You've, you've seen the whole gambit of EMS from, from bottom to eventually top. What are the biggest changes you've seen you know, over the expanse of your career, first of all? Well, I think at the beginning, the primary goal was to pick patients up at a scene 
and take them directly to the hospital. And the scope of EMS is changing uh, at rapid fire pace right now, especially since the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. We started in the Bureau of EMS, we started with a vaccine team and we were charged with providing vaccines to all of the first responders. So that was EMS, fire and law enforcement. And when that kind of wound down, we um, then started providing vaccines to our jails, prisons, and detention centers throughout the state. So far, we've administered over 6,000 vaccines. And so the scope of practice has really changed. In Louisiana, we've expanded that practice to include the EMT level at being able to give these IM injections. And so, you know, one of one of my goals, one of my words of wisdom would be always be a lifelong learner because you never know what's going to happen where you're going to have to be on top of things. You're going to have to know what the latest trends are and you're going to have to be able to carry them out. That's a great answer. And I, as we said before we started recording, I'm quite excited to have you on because the theme of the week nationally has been rural issues and has been the possibility of ambulance services closing due to lack of funding and, of course, lack of people. As a state director, how have you kept people motivated? Well, sometimes that's hard. And uh, like you said before, we started recording. Kelly uh, started talking about an EMR class that he's having in a high school. And the Bureau of EMS has really been working with the Department of Education and promoting EMR classes and EMT classes in the high schools. We really think this is the foundation of where we can get our next EMS leaders some of them, of course, you know, start and then they move on to another healthcare profession. We have seven, several uh, EMT students who are now working part time and going to med school. But we also have some that are working and they are looking to make a career out of EMS. I've taught a high school uh, EMT program before. And, and in the early days of the Bureau's initiative on this, it was uh, the schools didn't quite get what we were trying to do and, and, and the, the quality of high school uh, uh, EMT and EMR programs was widely variable. But the, the last, uh, the Bureau has taken some, some steps in, in uh, recent years um, trying to, to get the high school programs up to speed and to get the high school administration and the teachers uh, understanding uh, the requirements of, of putting on a quality program. And, and uh, I, I I say I'm teaching this class. Actually, I'm the assistant instructor in this program. Uh, my uh, my business and life partner, Nancy McGee, is the primary instructor in the program. And and I must say that I I couldn't be more pleased with the the level of support and and dedication and the quality of the students that we've had in the last two programs. These uh, these are some stellar stellar kids, and they're going to go on and do great things one day. Uh, and it's nice to uh, give them an, an introduction to EMS early on before they progress in their healthcare careers. Maybe when they're when they have MD behind their name or senator after their name, they'll remember uh, fondly what EMS was like. That's our hope. Kelly, let me throw one back at you then, yeah. because one of the, the issues, we've, we're just coming out of the pandemic, we hope, mm -hmm. and training went totally online. I'm assuming this is a live class, mm -hmm. first of all, so how is that going? 
But secondly, there was a worry that people wouldn't want to come to EMS because of what we've just been exposed to and obviously the risks involved. How are those things panning out? Our uh, high school uh, EMR classes are filling up. Uh, that All the available slots are filled. Uh, we have uh, engaged, motivated students who are practicing the however difficult and onerous it may be. They're practicing their their social distancing and mask wearing and and adhering to the uh, the CDC guidelines on on the issue. We hear that those guidelines may change and may loosen a little bit more in the coming days, and uh, we look forward to that. But right now, we're we're able to teach a quality class uh, just as we are. They the administrators of the uh, school have um, set up us classrooms that allow the students to socially distance from one another and and um, we've got mask monitoring and, and hand washing stations and so on and so forth and these kids are are pretty darn diligent about it you don't have to to go and remind them hey pull your mask up over your nose that sort of thing we it helps when we do Nancy's stop the funk class uh, we do a class using glow germ luminescent gel and, and sprays and stuff and we talk about infection control and how droplet transmission works Works, uh, and then give them a little demonstration and and simulate a sneeze or a cough uh, and then show how much of how many virus particles they got on themselves uh, during that sneeze and cough when we turn out the lights and uh, it's an eye opener and you see them wearing their masks pretty diligently after that eye protection as well. So is this one of those earn while you learn programs that has been talked about in the in the media or are they getting some sort of incentive to do it? Yes, yes, they are. Well, they, they get a credit toward graduation, but they are also, this is a grant funded program and it's through Louisiana's Jumpstart program, uh, which is a, uh, a program uh, for at-risk uh, high school students. And in some early on, we had some some problems with, you know, with, with some programs were, were not giving, they were kind of a, a dumping ground for the problem students. Um, but we see a lot of honor students in this program now. And these guys are given the school board administrator told them uh, today that this is your summer job. Uh, and you are going to be paid to be here. Uh, so these kids get a pretty generous stipend uh, and a travel allowance and any materials that they might need to, to help them excel. If they don't have internet access at home or a computer at home, which sadly, uh, a great many students in rural Louisiana still lack adequate internet access and, and computer resources, uh, they issue these guys a, a Chromebook uh, and make sure that they have internet access. And uh, they're paying them a, a fairly generous stipend. I don't know if I can say how much it is, but they put it this way. Uh, I paid less to intuition for my initial paramedic course in 1993 uh, than these kids are getting paid to take this EMR course. So that's, it's that's pretty generous. That's encouraging, Kelly, because yeah. I'm, I'm going to flip the question up to Susan now that as the state director, how short of paramedics are you? Obviously, these programs are fantastic. How many people does Kelly need to train for you? Oh, just a couple, a couple hundred would be really helpful. <laughs> no pressure, Kelly. There you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll get right on that, Susan. <laughs> We are, we are short um, paramedics and EMTs in Louisiana, and that's why we're looking at getting classes developed in the high schools. I mean, myself, I did not come out of high school and go straight to college. I knew that that wasn't going to work for me, and so it was, it was many years after high school before I went to college, and I just think there's, there's kids who have a lot of potential 
but are just don't want to go to college or just don't have the finances to go to college. And this is a way to get them into the workforce. And that's why I think this high school uh, EMS classes are so very important right now. You know, and, and Susan, you mentioned the, the challenges that we face, you know, staffing wise statewide, we're, we're so short of, of providers. Uh, and, and I've long said on this podcast and in other venues that uh, EMS doesn't have a, a personnel shortage. What we have is a shortage of people who are willing to work with horrible working conditions for for low wages. Um, and if those things were solved, uh, we our, our shortage would go away pretty quick. Some of our agencies have started, my, my agency and, and others have, have started down that path and, and really increased uh, uh, pay and benefits to make the job more attractive. Uh, so hopefully, you know, with, with enough education uh, and, and cranking out new paramedics uh, and enticing these people and paying them well enough to, to stay in the field, we'll resolve that staffing shortage in the coming years. But what are some of the other challenges we've faced in the last 18 months? You know, we've somehow, I think God hit the smite button on Louisiana multiple times in the last 18 months. Uh, what, two, two major hurricanes, a record ice storm, all during uh, a major global pandemic and yet we we came out of it doing pretty well how how proud are you of the ems agencies in the state and how did the bureau support their mission through all these tough times well you know the ems practitioners and providers in louisiana are just awesome i have just respect for all of them but you know the citizens of louisiana are have to be the most resilient people in the world We've just been hit with, you know, one disaster after another, and yet we still manage to come back stronger, better than we were before. But we actually had three hurricanes, two in uh, southwest Louisiana, one in south central Louisiana, and then the record ice storm where north Louisiana was hit worse than any other part of the state. And so in the EMS providers and the practitioners all responded with excellence, professional professionalism and tireless effort. And then the, the providers that were already in the affected area continued. I know Kelly, you had, you had damage to your house, but you, you mm -hmm. stayed at work. You stayed yep. at work. And then we had state surge ambulances and federal surge ambulances come in. And so the Bureau's job was to make sure that those ambulances had the proper equipment on them and that the, that the personnel that were on there had the proper credentials. And then we also worked with our tactical operations center with logistics, and we worked with the Louisiana Ambulance Alliance and the Louisiana Association of Nationally Registered EMTs to make sure that the responding personnel had what they needed while they were there. They were um, it basically in a parking lot in Lake Charles for, I would say a good month at least. Mm -hmm. So it came time, there were people offering to wash their clothes, um, a shower trailer was donated. Um, people were cooking and bringing food in at least one good hot meal a day. And, you know, I just can't say enough about the members of the EMS profession in Louisiana. When then when they weren't working, they were helping each other fix their houses, clean their yards or do whatever needed to be done to rebuild. And so I'm, I am proud to be um, in Louisiana, a resident of Louisiana. I'm proud to be part of Louisiana's EMS profession because we're, it's just awesome. It's just awesome people. And it doesn't matter what uniform you're wearing. You, when it comes to times like these, like we've had for the last 18 months, we're just um, 
one big EMS system and it just doesn't matter what uniform. And, you know, I got to give a shout out, Kelly, to your medical director. Dr. Burnell. This is what I told him to his face. I've always respected you. But when I saw the picture on social media of you replacing a roof of your employee's house, my respect just doubled. Yeah. I mean, everybody was just trying to help everybody. And, yeah. and that's just what we do. Yeah. And when you see your, your agency medical director and your area supervisors who had their homes damaged as well, uh, taking their, their time off the ambulance to help uh, repair and, and tarp employees' houses. And when you see your state EMS director uh, bottle feeding babies at the shelter, um, it's, uh, it makes it a lot, lot easier uh, to, to do your job and uh, it makes you a lot more thankful for what you have. I've often said that the, the, the best way that uh, our state regulatory agencies and, and, and agents are outfits like the Bureau of EMS, the best way we can do our, uh, they can help EMS providers is to empower us and get out of our way and, and trust their people to, to do the right thing in their agencies to manage their problems well. And, and this is something that, that I think EMS, I'm, I'm proud that, uh, that EMS in Louisiana is like that. Uh, give us some background, if you can, on exactly how EMS is regulated and, and managed in the state. We've got some some pretty special things that allow us prospect of self-governance that, that many other states don't have. How does Louisiana set up? Tell our tell our listeners how we're set up and how we manage to do these things. Sure. And, and I'm going to start with um, thanking the Bureau of EMS staff. Um, before I say what we do, we, we have seven full-time and one part-time employees. And so we're small, but we're mighty, and we get a lot of uh, we get a lot accomplished. And so we um, provide licenses to EMS practitioners and providers. We ensure quality education from the education programs. We make sure that telecommunicators have received telephone CPR instruction education. We facilitate the commission, and we offer psychomotor exams for national registry. And all of that's mandated by statute. That's what we have to do. And then we have advisory body uh, bodies in, for the Bureau. One is the EMS Task Force, and it's composed of stakeholders and state partners. And we meet once every quarter, and we talk about the issues that are in EMS or what are the good things that are in EMS and how does the Bureau need to adopt them or change them, whatever it is. And so then we also have the EMS Certification Commission, and the commissioners are appointed by the governor. And they deal with defining the scope of practice and practitioner disciplinary hearings. And so when, when we saw the Bureau of EMS, when we saw that there was going to be a need for more people to have the ability to provide vaccines, we immediately went to the commission and asked them to expand the scope of practice for EMTs during a pandemic so that they could administer the vaccine. And, you know, they're an advisory body, but I would be really, really just not a smart person if I didn't take their advice. And so, of course, they said, well, that makes it reasonable. We need to get this vaccine out. So they did that. And so they really help us to make sure we're not making both these groups, the commission and the task force, help us to make sure that we are not making decisions or making policies in a vacuum. 
we get the input from the stakeholders and we adjust what we want to do based on their input. And and the certification commission I'll, I'll add is, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of the certification commission in our state because it's, it's one of the few states where the regulatory or not the regulatory, the, the disciplinary body uh, and the body that decides scope of practice uh, in the state is made up of EMTs. It's EMTs policing EMTs uh, and paramedics policing paramedics. Uh, we have stakeholder input, uh, as you well know, uh, from from all facets of healthcare, physicians, nurses, and everything else. But um, mainly, it's EMTs, EMTs and paramedics uh, from from all segments of the, the EMS community. Uh, helping steer our profession. That's something that uh, not many states enjoy uh, uh, such a privilege, uh, but Louisiana does. I'm, I'm, uh, I can't say good, enough good things about it, Brad, about my state. And they're a very good, uh, hardworking group. Yes, they are. So Louisiana uh, is bilingual. I think there's a little bit of French <laughs> spoken there. So I want to just uh, break in and say uh, bonjour, bon semain, paramedic, <laughs> because of course it is uh, EMS week in Canada this week. So we know we have folk listening north of the border. So have a very happy paramedic week in Canada this week. Yeah, and thanks. Um, and happy paramedic week to all our, our Cajun forebears, because uh, many people may not realize that the Cajuns uh, uh, immigrated from Canada uh, way back in the day. So uh, many of us in South Louisiana have have our Canadian roots. So you see, Kelly, it wasn't a random link. Uh, Susan, no, let me come wasn't. back to you and, and ask you to put your present elect of an AMT hat on for a second. Mm -hmm. Again, this week has been, the news has been dominated by rural issues with the potential for services closing and running out of money and people. What are you doing at the top of the tree uh, with the National Association to help out not only Louisiana, but also uh, areas that are exceptionally rural in the country? Well, we just had um, EMS on the Hill last month and um, our focus was on a couple items. One was for the Medicare extenders to be um, extended and for the siren money that uh, helps fund rural education and rural EMS providers have that money increased. And I can, I'm happy to say that both of those bills are passing through. We're also um, trying to persuade government to make changes to our reimbursement model. And so for people who don't know um, outside of COVID, because hopefully that's not lasting forever, EMS providers do not get reimbursed if they do not transport the patient. So, which that has a trickle down effect because then you have overcrowding of the ED. You have patients going to the ED that don't may not need the ED, may need a doctor or a clinic. And so, if we if we EMS could get paid for the care that we're providing, that would solve. I would say a good many problems between EMS and the hospital. So thankfully in Louisiana, we haven't had any uh, providers shut down, but I know across the country it's happening and we have to find a way to reimburse these, these agencies for the care that they're doing. And one way is for the payment model to be, to be revamped so that we can get paid for the service that we're providing in the patient's house or on scene 
instead of overcrowding emergency departments. There's another alligator close to the canoe in that today we saw that uh, there are some rural hospitals closing. What's it got to do with us? Of course, if you don't have a hospital to go to, you have to drive further and therefore that's just going to continue the pain. So we have to watch everything in, in a rural area right now. That's right. And Louisiana is a, is a majority of the state is rural. And so we, we need to stay on top of this. We need to pay attention to what's going on. And, you know, there's a lot of rural areas in the entire country. And I can tell you that NAEMT's board is very diverse and we have a say, the entire board has a say in what our focus is. And I can, I can confidently say that the, the focus of the board right now is to keep EMS services up and running and to get reimbursement for the services that are provided. And that kind of goes full circle back to Kelly's wanting more money, because I think one of the things I've certainly realized in the last 18 months is more people, and I'm talking about guys that are listening on the truck, understand now how the financial model for EMS works. And that if we don't get that bit right, then we can't even think about pay rises. So, you know, everyone, and, and also, of course, the, as you know, I'm, I'm a triple A AAA guy, you're an NAMT person, the cooperation and collaboration to get these things done has never been stronger either. And that's my view, but uh, hopefully you'll agree with that. Yes, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And we are working um, to, together with triple uh, A um, the International Association of Fire Chiefs, the International Association of Firefighters. We, we're collaborating with them on a daily basis to make sure that we're all on the same page and that we can all focus on these rural EMS agencies and particularly the rural EMS agencies to make sure that reimbursement is going to um, come to Yes, and that's uh, um, lobbying to to modify and, and overhaul our reimbursement model is is hopefully if that if that bears fruit like I we all hope it will it, it'll transform the way we provide EMS. You know, we we uh, you mentioned the the challenges we've had with hospital uh, overcrowding and and ED burden and the operational tempo that we've had during the COVID pandemic and how things like alternate destination transport and treatment in place that we've implemented uh, during COVID to, has been so beneficial. And, you know, we've, we've got a, we've got a pilot funding model to see if that actually is going to work on a large scale. Um, and, and hopefully ET3 will, uh, will take off and, and in four or five years time when, when this model is over and they have enough data to crunch, uh, they'll see that, that we can be efficient gatekeepers of the system uh, and more than just simply ambulance drivers. You you mentioned the changes in our reimbursement model that you're lobbying for. What kind of challenges do you see in our future uh, to, to wrap up the show? What What's coming down the pike that EMS is going to have to manage and how are we going to do it? Well, we have a lot of lessons learned from the pandemic. We're still learning from the pandemic, but I think we need to be ready for the next one because I think it would be pretty foolish if we don't. And we need to take our lessons learned and we need to refine the plan on how we're going to handle the next pandemic when it comes. I think that's going to be a big issue. I think um, mental health of the EMS practitioners is going to be an issue. I mean, you know, people say to me, well, I don't understand the big deal. Yeah, they treated patients with COVID, but 
I don't understand. They had the PPE they did, they needed. So, and well, first off, did they have the PPE they needed? That's one question, right? The second question is, I understand we take care of sick people all the time, but most of the time, what, when we're taking care of patients, we don't have to worry about taking that home to our families. And in this case, we did. We had to worry about taking it home to our families. We had to make sure that, you know, we were taking our uniform and our shoes off in the garage so we could come in the house, immediately take a shower, keep distance from our family. Because even though we had the PPE, we needed to keep distance from our family. We know, I know of people who didn't see their families for months at a time. And so I think it's taken a huge toll on the mental health of the practitioners. And I think this is something that NAEMT is focused on. I know we're working on some priorities with that, and I don't think I'm at liberty to discuss today, but I'll be happy to do that on a future episode. But we're working <laughs> on um, some of those initiatives because we have to take care of ourselves and we have to take care of each other. And we have to have the door open. We have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to talk to each other, have peer groups, and we have to be willing, and this is hard for me, I have to be willing, and we have to be willing to hear, you might need a break. You might need to talk to somebody. And so I think those are the two things, you know, mental health, the next pandemic, and, you know, what we've already talked about with rural EMS. I think those need to be the focuses for the future. Thanks, Susan. And that that perfectly encapsulates uh, the the challenges we face and the challenge we're going to face in the future. Uh, You've heard what we think. You've heard what Susan thinks. We'd like to hear what you think. Are you enjoying the show? If so, take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts and contact the Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com to share ideas, suggestions, and feedback, or if you'd like to join us as a guest. And for myself, co-host Rob Lawrence, and our special guest this week, Louisiana Bureau of EMS Director and NAEMT President-Elect, Susan Bailey. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.